0: Mark, why don't you tell me who you are and what you do?
1: Hi, I'm Mark Joseph Stern. I'm a senior writer for Slate covering courts and the law.
0: I asked Mark to come on the show this week because I wanted to talk to him about a couple of laws. Laws in Texas and Florida that take aim at social media companies and how they moderate content. Laws that, if they took effect, would drastically alter how these platforms work. But first, I needed Mark to take a look at his own social media. Are you able to open up your Twitter for me, just in, in front of me? Yeah. And look at absolutely, it? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I'm looking at it right now, in fact.
0: Okay. What like what is, a, what is your Twitter, just a snapshot of it, look like right now? What's going on?
1: It's a bunch of law professors debating about legal realism. <laughs> uh, interspersed okay. by a bunch of media people talking about a New York restaurant scene that I don't understand.
0: I wonder what your Twitter might hypothetically look like in a universe where some of these laws, say HB 20 in Texas, went into effect. Would it be different?
1: there would be a lot of Nazis in my feed, um, a lot of Holocaust denial, I would guess, probably a fair amount of terrorist recruitment content, um, and then likely a healthy dose of porn, because as we'll discuss, De Florida Law would actually deem Pornhub to be a journalistic enterprise and bar social media companies from censoring it. So yeah, I think that I would open Twitter and then immediately throw my laptop into the sea and run away forever.
0: Today on the show, how a push by conservative lawmakers in two states has sparked a legal battle that could shape online speech for a generation. One that's going all the way to the Supreme Court. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but It will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations, so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. The reason Mark was describing a Twitter landscape potentially filled with hate, porn, and really outlandish trolls is that these laws, especially the one passed in Texas, would forbid platforms from prohibiting certain kinds of content. Conservatives have long argued that the platforms discriminate against them by suspending or banning them for sharing political speech. The platforms say they are only enforcing rules against hate speech or misinformation. And it's worth noting that no large-scale studies have shown that social media companies discriminate against conservatives. Nevertheless, with HB 20, the authors of the Texas bill wrote a law that would give social media companies only minimal tools to influence what's on their sites.
1: What it does is essentially strip these platforms— of the ability to moderate a vast amount of content um, through algorithms or by individual decisions made by employees at the company or by setting policies that users have to abide by. Um, It replaces all of that with a state mandate um, that forces these platforms to take a very, very – hands-off approach and tells them, among other things, that they cannot moderate content, including uh, demoting content in a feed, removing content, shadow banning, as the Texas legislators put it, uh, on the basis of viewpoint. Um, and that includes um, not just viewpoint in terms of politics or like religion or you know normal debate, but also viewpoint like did the Holocaust happen? Hmm. Or should women uh, be stripped of the right to sign contracts? Or should we bring slavery back in the United States? Or should you join ISIS? Um, and so The the, the world that this law attempts to create is frankly not one in which any rational or decent person would want to use social media for even a second.
0: When you wrote about this bill for Slate in May, you described it as, and I'm going to quote something that, "...empowers aggrieved users to file an unending stream of lawsuits to combat content moderation while creating a slew of onerous regulations that are literally impossible to comply with." And I'm wondering, do you think there is in any universe a good faith reading of this law that comes from a legitimate, though we should say with no evidence, theory that the platforms discriminate against conservatives? Or or was it just written to kneecap social media companies?
1: I think it was written first and foremost as a political stunt. I think that the social media companies are kind of caught in the middle of this battle on the right um, to persuade the Republican base that they are the victims of this mass censorship campaign um, and that the campaign is so bad and all-consuming and stifling speech to such an outrageous degree that the government just has no choice but to step in and use the heavy hand of regulation to to Mm -hmm. fight back. But I don't think that's all it is. I I do think that a lot of the legislators who crafted and supported this bill um, have a a pretty uh, intense vendetta against social media companies that they are convinced are censoring Republican and and conservative speech, and that they feel this is the only way at this stage um, to push back by creating a kind of wild west on all of these platforms so that Republican voices can rise to the top where, under this view, they deserve to be and should be.
0: This law would only apply in Texas, but these are national companies. So, like, how does that part work? Does it just mean it has, w- would theoretically have to happen everywhere?
1: The simple answer normally would be, well, these companies can just basically create a Berlin Wall around Texas and say, if you're in Texas, you're not allowed to access Facebook. But the bill expressly prohibits that kind of uh, geofencing and says you have to allow users in Texas to continue to access these websites. And so I I think that probably if this bill were upheld, some of these companies, if not all of them, would end up having their national standards align with the Texas standards because it's just impossible to create one set of standards that apply within a single state and then another set that apply to the other 49.
0: I mean, it's like in the same way that we see European regulations about privacy adopted by by tech companies throughout the U.S.
1: And the same way that the California privacy laws um, end up nudging these companies to create a nationwide standard, uh, which is, I think, not an inherently bad thing. It's fine for states to become kind of market leaders uh, and regulatory pioneers when the regulations are sensible and kind of stepping in for something that Congress might have done if it weren't so dysfunctional.
0: Like California and emission standards. Yeah,
1: that is the quintessential example here. You know, (laughs) California sets these emission standards for cars. They are higher than what other states have and what the federal government requires. But car companies want to be able to sell and manufacture cars in California, so they all meet them. And everybody's happy because you save money on gas. But again, what we are talking about is a very far cry from protecting the environment with emission standards. This is more like forcing every single American to see an unending stream of Nazi hate speech because Texas legislators got really mad about a shadow ban.
0: One far-reaching aspect of the Texas law is that it prohibits platforms from discriminating against users for viewpoints they express offline as well as on.
1: For instance, if you are a proud boy and you go to rallies and argue for, uh, you know, the imprisonment of gay people, the subjugation of women, all of these really awful things, but then you go online and you 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 just want to be a normal user, um, Facebook can't say, well, we're worried that you're actually like a domestic terrorist and limit your access because— That would be discriminating on the basis of viewpoint. So there there can't be any kind of preemptive uh, regulations of of individuals who are known to be awful, egregious, bad actors or potentially terrorists. Um, It's a kind of holistic restriction on these platforms to treat every user equally, even if some users obviously do not deserve equal treatment.
0: I've asked you a lot about the Texas bill. The the Florida one, this is like the book report question, is similar but also different. (laughs) Um, How?
1: So the Florida bill is is more focused on deplatforming and was like a very direct response to Twitter deplatforming Donald Trump after January 6th. Um, And and so the, the chief regulation there is that No candidate for office can be uh, taken off of a a social media platform pretty much under any circumstances, even if they say really bad things, even if they say foment an insurrection at the United States Capitol. um, They have to be allowed to uh, have access to these platforms. And also posts that are by or about candidates uh, must stay on the website and The the website cannot deprioritize certain posts uh, if they are about a candidate. I also just want to add that the Florida law has this very bizarre uh, bit that bars a social media company from censoring, deplatforming, or shadow banning a journalistic enterprise — based on the content of its publication. But then it defines a journalistic enterprise so broadly, um, including any outlet that publishes 100 hours of audio or video online, um, that it would include Pornhub and other user-generated pornography websites, um, because there's simply nothing in the bill to restrict that. And that is you know, under under lots of precedents, that is speech, that is expression protected by the First Amendment. Um, that under this bill, uh, Twitter would not be able to even deprioritize from your feed.
0: It seems to me like there are kind of two ways to to look at this overarching issue, right? From a, a content moderation standpoint, or from a corporate free speech one. And I kind of want to take them one by one. So, from a content moderation standpoint, these Platforms, these social media companies who have have banded together here are basically saying, what? This would just turn us into a cesspool?
1: That's the argument. I think it's a pretty persuasive one. Uh, As we discussed earlier, most Americans don't like being confronted with an endless stream of Nazi hate speech and porn when they log on Twitter. And that is what this bill would do.
0: But the other argument that these platforms are making, and they are making them as an industry, is that the bills infringe on their corporate free speech that turning over granular information about their algorithms to the state, for example, is government intrusion into their business. And that has led to a fascinating scrambling of traditional ideological views.
1: You know, normally conservatives love corporate speech because it mostly means spending money to help Republicans win elections, right? Republicans and and, and conservative judges say corporations are people. They have a right to speak about elections, which means pouring billions of dollars into helping GOP candidates win. Um, Here, you might expect some consistency. You might expect that if a corporation can spend unlimited money electing candidates, that it can also choose what kinds of expression it wants to present to its users. But we have seen some conservative judges say, no, no, no quite the opposite corporations have become a kind of substitute government square a public square where you know everybody has to go if they want to make their voices heard and so we should not be looking at these cases as corporate free speech. We should be looking at them as individual free speech being crushed by corporations. And under that view, these bills are enhancing the freedom of speech because the corporation is trying to censor certain users and certain viewpoints, and the states are coming back and ensuring that every viewpoint and every user can have their kind of soapbox moment in the public square that is Twitter.
0: Is the conservative argument that, that these companies are then akin to common carriers, that they're the telephone company or a utility or something where like they just have a responsibility to let everybody use them?
1: That is the kind of theoretical underpinning of these bills and, and, and of what conservative judges have put forth, that these... Companies, YouTube today, for instance, is the railroad of the 21st century. And, you know, back in the 19th century, railroads were told by the government, you are the only game in town. If somebody wants to get from point A to point B, they have to use you. And so you are not allowed to discriminate against passengers uh, unless you have a really good reason. Um, And that logic carried through to telegrams, to phones, uh, and telecommunications. In the earlier days when there were real monopolies on telecoms, the government said, look, you know, you can't drop a call because a user supports a Democratic candidate or a Republican candidate. You have to let all comers use your services equally because essentially you're the only game in town. And that's what Republicans and conservative judges have argued here, that if you want your voice heard, Twitter is really the only game in town. And so it has become a a common carrier, just like a railroad, or a Telegram, and it has to let everybody use its services equally without discrimination.
0: Why aren't they common carriers, right? Like what why aren't they
1: akin to a railroad? So two things. First, you really can create an alternative to Twitter if you want to. And they exist. There's Parler. Truth Social. Yeah. Yeah, Truth Social. Uh, it's not like a railroad where if the railroad turned you away, you could say, well, I'm just going to build my own railroad across the continent. Like, it's a very different thing that allows for competition. If the competition's not successful, that doesn't really matter for this analysis. You can still go on Truth Social and post all you want. Nobody's stopping you. And if very few people read it, like, that's not Twitter's problem. The other reason is that the platforms are are telling the truth when they say this is uh, not just robotic content moderation, but editorial discretion. And I think that the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, in striking down the Florida law, explain this very well. Facebook and Twitter have these policies about the kinds of speech they wish to promote and the kinds of speech that they do not want to host. And they want to create a safe and welcoming community. And they are going to prioritize and deprioritize all kinds of expression to achieve that goal. Is that the exact same thing as a newspaper publishing or not publishing an editorial? Of course not. It is very different. But for constitutional purposes, it does feel very closely related to a newspaper's decision over what speech to publish. And I don't see, for First Amendment purposes, a a a clear distinction between forcing a corporation to publish a certain editorial and forcing a corporation to prioritize certain speech.
0: When we come back, yes, it's risky to predict what the Supreme Court will do. I'm going to make Mark do it anyway. At the same time that these things are happening in Florida and Texas, there's this very different law going into effect in California that would require tech companies to file these semiannual reports, basically saying this is how we moderate content, especially hate speech, disinformation, extremism. It feels like a very different kind of law, but at the same time, it also feels like the tech companies can say, hey, you're infringing on our corporate free
1: speech. That is, I think, worth exploring because There's no clear right or wrong answer in my view. This is a disclosure issue that the Supreme Court has struggled with for decades. When can the government force corporations to disclose information um, about their, their practices? Uh, the government of, of California is telling Facebook, you have to inform us um, how you moderate your content, how you deal with disinformation and harassment, um, how you are combating extremism and, and disinformation uh, a- as a cost of doing business in our state. And I think that some of these disclosure requirements are clearly constitutional because the Supreme Court has said, look, if it's just Turning over purely factual information, and there is a, a really good government interest driving it then it 's fine it 's kosher and the California bill I think falls on the the constitutional side of that um, you know the, the legislature has a real interest in learning how and why Facebook is uh, pushing back against election disinformation or hate speech, and I think that some of the provisions of the Florida and Texas laws do as well, you know, explaining to the state what policies are governing individual content moderation decisions. But the Texas and Florida bills go way further. And they require these companies to give incredibly detailed, fine-grained reports about Pretty much every content moderation decision that uh, a platform makes in the course of doing business. And that includes decisions that are made by algorithms that are automated to moderate certain kinds of content in a certain way. Um, And that, I think, is simply impossible for a platform to comply with because, you know, a a platform like, like Facebook or YouTube is making millions and millions of content moderation decisions every year. Most of them are automated and done by a robot. And there is simply no way for a company to hire enough people to track every single one of those and turn it over to the state and explain why it was the right decision.
0: The California law is likely to be challenged by the tech companies, and the Texas and Florida ones already have. While most of the Florida law was struck down by the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, the Texas law was recently upheld by the Fifth Circuit. The Supreme Court, however, had already put the Texas law on hold. And on Wednesday of this week, Florida turned to the Supreme Court, asking for a hearing on its law. And Mark says it's inevitable that the court will hear arguments on one or both of these laws.
1: I think it'll probably happen this term, um, maybe in early 2023. Um, And we know that because after the Fifth Circuit uh, allowed the Texas law to take effect, the companies raced to the Supreme Court and begged for what's called an emergency stay that would uh, put the law on pause again. And the Supreme Court granted that stay. And frankly, the Supreme Court just doesn't do that if it doesn't have plans to intervene fully at a later date and s- almost always side with the party that it granted the stay to.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's always kind of unfair to ask a legal reporter to like predict what the court is going to do. But it feels like you're doing that, at least based on (laughs) what they did in the past with this.
1: What's interesting is that the justices were totally scrambled in ideology when this case came to the court. So the five justices who halted the Texas law, which, by the way, is like very extraordinary relief. The court's not supposed to do that unless it's pretty damn clear that this law is unconstitutional. Hmm. Um, the, The five justices were John Roberts. Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, Stephen Breyer, and Sonia Sotomayor. Not five justices normally hanging out at the same pool party, but here they banded together to to issue this stay because I think they all share a pretty similar view of the First Amendment in this context that does not allow a, a state like Texas to step in and override the editorial decisions of a social media company.
0: We've talked a little bit about this ideological scrambling, but one of the things I also find fascinating is some of the strategy behind it, right? Like, the tech companies hired Paul Clement, George W. Yeah. Bush's Solicitor General. Like, they seem to know that this is not a clear liberals against conservatives face-off
1: Absolutely. Um, and, and they have so much money that they can afford to take a big swing with the most expensive conservative lawyers in America. So you see Paul Clement, you know, conservative superstar litigator, and this ragtag gang of former lawyers with the Texas attorney general's office which is the office defending this law, um, now telling the Supreme Court, hey, 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 this is too much. This is egregious censorship. And we are conservatives, so you can trust us on this. We are telling you the truth. What Texas Republicans are trying to do here and Florida Republicans is beyond the pale and should not be acceptable to any true constitutional conservative.
0: There is something else that, I don't quite know how to get at with these laws and this issue, right? Because on the one hand, these are corporations, right? They, they do have rights. We've talked about their First Amendment rights. On the other hand, like Elon Musk isn't entirely wrong when he says these are a quasi-public square. And the kind of speech that exists on these platforms is in and of itself crucial to a functioning democracy elections, etc., cetera. And I, I feel like maybe this is just the beginning of some kind of big legal reckoning about how to think about social media platforms and speech, especially in absence of any congressional m- movement. I-,
1: I think that's right, and seeing this as the first volley in a much broader battle helps I think, uh, clarify why the companies were willing to shell out so much money to set a precedent early on. Mm. They want this to be the big landmark Supreme Court decision that says the First Amendment protects corporations' rights over editorial discretion, which is how they frame content moderation, under all circumstances. They say, we're a newspaper. We're a newspaper. That's right. And they say, you know, just like a newspaper, we get to decide what speech we publish. We get to decide what speech we don't publish. And that's the end of it. And I want to point out that this was a very intentional litigation strategy because these companies could have taken a very different route. They could have argued that these attempts to regulate national corporations by a single state um, are, are preempted by federal law, that if, if, if the government wants to do this, it has to be Congress, not an individual state. But they didn't take that route because they don't want Congress to do this either, because they do not want in five or 10 years to be dealing with this exact same fight in the halls of Congress. And so they chose the First Amendment argument because that is a way for them to establish this kind of unimpeachable precedent that ensures that no government, state, local, federal, whatever, tries this again because the Supreme Court's going to stand, athwart the law and say no.
0: Listening to that legal argument, it does make me wonder if it sets up a little bit of a clash with another key piece of law that these platforms rely on, which is Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, in which they say, eh, we're not a publisher, we're just a platform. We're not responsible for what people say on our platform. So how can you on the one hand argue, yes, we're a publisher who who makes editorial decisions, and on the other say, whoops, nope, sorry that whatever the nazi said, that's not on us. <laughs>
1: Um, you hope that there's no penalty for hypocrisy in courts? Uh, that, that's the short answer. I mean, Justice Alito, when he dissented from the, the Supreme Court's stay in the Texas case, he pointed this out, and he was not wrong to say, like, look, they're talking out of two sides of their mouth here. When it comes to 230 stuff, they say we're not publishers, we have no control over this speech, do not hold us liable. But then when it comes to this, this content moderation uh, regulation, they're saying, oh, my God, we're We're absolutely the same as a newspaper. How dare you try to interfere with our editorial decisions? That is a legitimate complaint about how these corporations have approached this issue. I frankly do not see good odds of major Section 230 reform or repeal. And so it's fine for them to just rely on that argument when they're dealing with these various lawsuits and then turn around when when Texas or Florida wants to interfere with their content moderation and make a completely different argument and, and know that at the end of the day, there's no law or rule against being a hypocritical litigant.
0: Mark Joseph Stern, thank you so much for talking with me
1: always a pleasure.
0: Mark Joseph Stern is a senior writer at Slate, covering the legal system. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Tori Bosch. Joanne Levine is the executive producer for What Next. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family, and we are also part of Future Tense, a partnership with Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you are a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we will be back on Sunday with a show on how nuclear power is getting a second look. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.